My prayer this morning, Father, is a simple one, that you would give me a heart for your word and a word for our hearts. Amen. Now, I don't know about when you were growing up, but when I was growing up, Saturday night was a very important night. We had dinner as a family. Dad was home from work. Mom was home from work. The kids were home. It was definitely a time that we were all together. And then after dinner, Dad and I went to the back steps on the way down to the basement, and we sat down every Saturday, and we polished the family's shoes for church the next day. (laughs) Dad had one of those old wooden shoe shine boxes, and we would get out you know, the real shine and put it on and brush it and sheen it and then wax them up. And I say that because every Saturday night before Sunday, I still get out the shoe polish. And if you notice, my shoes are always ready for church on Sunday morning, mostly because my dad made sure that we looked our best for Sunday church. And it's a habit. And I want you to hear this because we're going to talk about the difference between the habits of faith and the heart of faith. See, Nicodemus knew the habits of faith. He was a Pharisee. He was in the Sanhedrin. He was a a well-respected, learned man in his community. He wore the right clothes at the right time, and I have to tell you that if he had nice patent leather shoes, they were polished. They shined like the sun. And you would have said, wow, what a holy and righteous man he was. But his heart was empty. And we know that because he took his empty heart to meet with Jesus. And he said, okay, Jesus, what is the real truth? Now, I brought with me a piece of paper here. This is my ACPE diploma. I still don't have a frame for it. This is the one that makes me a hospital chaplain. I spent two and a half years as a resident working through the ACPE program, become a hospital chaplain, which I did for many years, and then I moved to the nursing homes. Now, one of the things you have to do to be an ACPE chaplain is you have to write a weekly verbatim. What does this mean? That means you go and visit a patient, and when you get out of the room from visiting the patient, You have to write up like a script, a play. This is what I said. This is what the patient said. This is what I said. This is what the patient said. And you then have to present it to the other chaplains who proceed to either say, really nice job, or why did you say this? Or why didn't you say this? It's like being on Chopped, except they're going to dissect what you said rather than what you cooked. I did that every week for two and a half years, which means, my friends, I am a very good listener because you're not allowed to go in and take notes. You have to come out of the room and, as best you can, recreate that dialogue. So here I am, and I'm reading the book of John, and it occurs to me that this is one of the, if not the longest dialogue we've heard Jesus had. He has a nice long talk with the woman at the well, but this is longer than that. And we have his prayers at the end of the John, let not your heart be troubled, but this is the longest conversation. So then the chaplain in me says, well, who wrote this down? Who reported this? 
How did we get this record of this very deep conversation and perhaps the most famous verse in the New Testament for us today? Well, did you know that Nicodemus is mentioned one other place in the Bible? It's not a quiz. It's not Jeopardy. But the answer is, what is the end of John? When Joseph of Arimathea gets permission to take Jesus off the cross and put Jesus in his tomb, Nicodemus is there, it says, with the spices to prepare the body. Nicodemus was there at the moment that Jesus was taken off the cross and put in the tomb. Nicodemus heard what Jesus said, and it changed his life. And that's where we are today. Nicodemus went from being a man who had the habits of faith to a man that had the heart of faith. He put his career in jeopardy. He put his reputation in jeopardy to be where he needed to be to serve Jesus at that horrible time. Now, some scholars believe that Nicodemus was actually Mary's brother. Some traditions say that. So then think about this poor man. His nephews were John the Baptist and Jesus. You want precocious children? One of them ran off the temple at 13 and was having theological discussions with the priests. And the other one went on a camping trip and never came back and baptized people in the Jordan River. Nicodemus perhaps saw both of these young men grow into the godly people that they were called to be. And it's no surprise they were in the family business. Who was their other uncle? Zachariah. So Zachariah, Elizabeth's husband, was a priest, and Nicodemus was a Pharisee and in the Sanhedrin. So not only was he a smart guy, but he was one of the 70 people chosen to rule Israel. The Sanhedrin were the 70. They were priests, they were Levites, and they were Pharisees. They were the smartest and the brightest and the best called to rule. And he gets to watch these two boys. And I want you to to imagine in your mind that he's thinking they're going to go into the family business. They're either going to be priests or Pharisees. They're smart. They're precocious. They have a heart for God. The spirit of God is clearly on both of them. And when they used to be grown-ups, what happens? Neither one of them goes into the traditional family business. John the Baptist goes into the wilderness. And we know Jesus' life story. So perhaps when Nicodemus comes to visit Jesus, there's a little bit of family frustration too. I'll I'll never forget Aunt Aurelia. I I made the decision to become a pastor. I told my dad, my dad said it's about time. We've been waiting for you to say this for years, son. When are you leaving? I called Aunt Aurelia. I said, Aunt Aurelia, I'm going to be a pastor. There was a long pause. She said, well, I guess somebody has to do it. There's uplifting family support for you. My grandmother said, are you going to be a Baptist? I said, no. She said, good, I don't like Baptists. When she was 12 years old, she played the cello in a Baptist uh, orchestra back in the, in the 1930s. And the pastor said, you can't play anymore if, unless you become a Baptist. And she said, I can't play my cello if, unless I'm a Baptist. He said, no. She left the church and never went back. So that was my family support. And that's part of where Nicodemus is. He said, like Jesus, you could have had it all. You could have had the big church. 
You could have had thousands of followers on a Sunday morning. You could have had that big shining ministry, and here you are, out in the wilderness. What's going on? And I believe it's with that heart Nicodemus comes to Jesus. So, I want you to think of our friend Nicodemus here as a Pharisee who followed the rules. I want you to hear that because the Pharisees believed that if all of Israel would follow the rules, follow the law of God for one day, the Messiah would come. Now, what might be hidden in here is maybe they were right, and that's why the Messiah came. Nicodemus doesn't know yet that he's sitting across from or next to the Messiah. It's like the man who was dressed well, sitting on a bench at a hospital with a suitcase by his foot, and the nurse came by with a wheelchair. She said, sir, it's hospital policy. We have to take you out of the hospital in a wheelchair. He said, that's okay. I'm fine. She said, well, sir, it's the rules. And he says, no, really, I'm fine. I, I, can, I can do it on my own. I'll, I'll be fine right here. And she was so insistent, she made the man get in the wheelchair, put the suitcase on his lap, and she's wheeling him to the door. And she said, well, sir, when will you discharge? She said, I wasn't. My wife is discharged. I'm waiting for her to come down from upstairs. <laughs> Sometimes you can blindly follow the rules. And that's where the Pharisees were. Nicodemus was a rule follower, but he didn't have the heart yet. The downfall of the Pharisees is they paid lip service to the word of God instead of life service. They believed in the structure of the kingdom of God, but not the spirit of the kingdom of God. They were more interested in the ritual of worship rather than true worship. And they were following the patterns of faith instead of tapping in to the power of faith. It's like the man who said to the florist, my buddy is opening a new store. He said, oh, great, it's in a new location. I need you to send flowers. And the florist said, no problem, I got this covered. And he trusted the florist, that was his business. And he went to see his friend in his his new store on the day that they opened, the grand opening, and his friend just glared at him. And he couldn't figure out what was wrong until he got inside the store and there was this beautiful flower arrangement that said, rest in peace. <laughs> so he left the store, not sure what was going on, and he went to the florist and he said, you're killing me here. I just went to see my friend and his flower arrangement says rest in peace. And the florist said, are you kidding me? Think of the problems I have. I have to find a funeral with a flower arrangement that says good luck in your new location. <laughs> Sometimes good intentions aren't enough. The Pharisees had the idea the road was there, but they weren't quite sure how to follow it yet. Jesus' message, God's message to us and to Nicodemus is very easy. We, we talked about this at Thursday night. We talked about it this morning. God is not in the condemning business. God is in the saving business. I love John 3.17. For God sent his son into the world not to condemn the world, but the world might be saved through him. 
When those people wave the sign that says John 3.16 at football games and baseball games or wherever, they really need to put John 3.16 and 17. The church is not here to beat sinners into submission. It's here to share the good news that Jesus died for you knowing that you were a sinner. God loved us so much. He sent his son. That's what the Bible says. To die for us in our place. It's not about condemnation. God already knows that you're a sinner. And he still loves you. God only already knows that even though we enter into this relationship, we are going to trip and fall. God knows that he loves you so much that he wants you to have a heart faith for him. Reminds me of a story, one of my favorite stories, about a little boy who was fascinated with their new phone. Now, I got to tell you, I grew up when phones were on the wall in the kitchen. Everybody's phone was on the wall in the kitchen, right? And in the old days, you didn't dial 411 for information. You picked up, and there... There was a voice there, and you said, information, please. And they would put you right through to a person. No computers, no nothing. And that person, the little boy, his name was Paul. And by the way, it's a true story. The little boy named Paul, he thought that was fascinating. Information, please, could find you any phone number of any person anywhere. And they always knew the correct time. I don't know if you would do that. My grandfather would do that. He'd call up and say, you know, information please, what's the correct time? And he would, he would check his watch with the correct time. So one day Paul was home and he whacked his thumb with the hammer really hard and there were no parents nearby, he was by himself and he was scared and he didn't know what to do. So you know what he did? He picked up the phone, he said, information please. And a nice voice answered and, and he said, I hit my thumb with the hammer and I don't know what to do. And the voice said, Aren't your parents there? And he said, well, no. And he said, well, is, the voice said, is it bleeding? He said, no. And the voice said, well, go to the ice box and get some ice and put it on. And it felt better. And when people weren't around and Paul had a question, he would go right to the phone and he would call information please. And information please taught him how to spell the word fix and found out what to feed his pet chipmunk. And... Uh, Helped him with math and geography. Information, please, knew all the answers. And one day he called because his pet canary had died. And information, please, said, Paul, remember that there are always other worlds to sing in. Now, Paul grew up in the Pacific Northwest. And his family moved to Boston. And he grew up in Boston. He missed information, please. But he grew up. He went to college. He got a job. And he was... He was passing through the Seattle area and he thought to himself, I wonder. And he dialed the local exchange and he said, information please. And the same voice answered the phone. And he said, can you help me spell the word fix? And the voice said, I imagine your thumb is all better by now. <laughs> he said, it's really you? And she said, yes. And he shared with her how important it was when he was growing up that information, please, was always there. And she shared with him that she had no children of her own and that she always looked forward to his call. She felt like she really had a relationship. 
And he said, well, is it okay if I call you again? And she said, yes, just ask for Sally. So about three months later, he was passing through and he dialed the phone and he, he asked for Sally and there was a pause at the other end and the voice said, are you her friend? He said, well, my name's Paul and, and she said to ask for her. And the person shared with him that Sally had had a battle with cancer and that she had worked part-time recently and that she had passed about four or five weeks ago. And then the voice said, Paul, you said your name was? He said, yes. She said, she left a note for you, let me get it. And she said, let me read it for you. And it said, Paul, there are always other worlds to sing in. That's what Jesus says. There are other worlds to sing in. There is more than this. There is more to us. Nicodemus, there's more than following the rules. Church, there's more than having the habits of faith. You can have the heart of faith. Well, what does this mean for us today? It's pretty simple. There's three things that I'd like to have you think about. The first one is this. If you've never entered into a relationship with Jesus... Now, I, I don't know if you've seen, several churches in the area have signs up that say, are you cross-eyed? With a dash. Are your eyes on the cross? Do you have a cross-eyed faith? Have you ever looked at the cross and said, I am so grateful for what Jesus did for me. I want to enter into this relationship with him. And accept his gift and the knowledge that we will sing in other worlds. You have to believe to begin this journey. The second thing is some of us have forgotten the hope, or like the Pharisees, replaced your heart faith with the habits of faith. And you need to repent and restore and say, Father, I've stepped away from the way I know I'm supposed to go. Please restore me through the death and resurrection of Jesus into the path that you've chosen for me, that I might again sing in those other worlds. Or you might feel, and this is exciting, you might feel called to help others into a saving knowledge. You might want to help others find their way to Jesus, help them seek and serve. There's a Methodist church, I don't remember the name, and it's, I wrote it down, but I forgot, that actually has two signs on the back of their building. When you enter it in, says, we enter to worship. And when you leave, it says, we go to serve. That's where we are. Nicodemus was called, like we are, to enter to worship. That's where we are today. But worship is not enough. We have to take the word through the door and out into the world. If any of those three things are challenging your heart today... The pastors, the deacons would love the opportunity to pray with you at the end of the service. Come forward during the last hymn, which is Standing on the Promises. Amen.